Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. Happy Monday. Uh, a hot one on tap for the whole week, apparently, so try to stay cool there. The Denver Broncos veterans report tomorrow to Dove Valley, which means that a practice season will be right behind it, and fans will be able to see them in person for the first time on Friday. Uh, good news on the injury front for the Broncos over the course of uh, over the weekend, obviously, when you talk about the, the injuries, you take a look at a couple. Uh, Baron Browning and Kendall Hinton on the physically unable to perform list. That's not good news. Uh, Mike Purcell and K.J. Hamler on the non-football injury list. Not good news, but also not necessarily surprises. The surprise and the good news is that on neither of those lists did you hear the name of Javante Williams, who, as the Broncos have been rather consistent ever since Sean Payton came into town, made it clear that they believe that Javante Williams will be ready to go for week one. And at least with this move indicates that at the bare minimum, they feel that he's ready to participate in some fashion, albeit probably limited to start, but ready to go now when you're talking about these training camp practices. So I I think for the Broncos and Broncos fans, that's really good news because not only a key cog of the offense, but you would argue, I think, in his rookie season, maybe the very best part of the Broncos offense and maybe could have been last year as well. Some improvement to Jerry Judy, little improvement by Greg Dulcich, improvement by Russell Wilson, return to form or at least close to it. For Javante Williams and the Denver Broncos offense could actually take a leap forward. Now, we're not going to confuse them with the Chiefs or the Bengals, but when you're talking about a jump forward, it's possible because you have younger guys being able to take a jump forward, and certainly Russell Wilson can't be as bad as he was last year. There's reasons for optimism regarding uh, what was, at least last year, a terrible offense. But, Sandy, the the news that Williams is not on one of those lists is, not, is, is good to go in some capacity. That explains why the Samaji Pirine was was signed. And then the Broncos sort of stopped at the running back position, even though it also appears, if you would like, there are options sitting out there right now in case you decide you, you want to go shopping again. And there's a question as to how many running backs you keep. Uh, do you keep a fullback? Yeah, the or Broncos do you will have keep a fullback. a fullback on the ready list? I don't know. I think the Broncos I'm not will sure. Keep My sense is when they you will. sign one, you go get a Michael Burton, and you yeah. and you have Sean Payton's offense to use him. And Burton is a very good but special maybe, teamer. Right. I think I think he's staying. Maybe you keep only three running backs then. Maybe you don't need more than that. And Williams and P. Ryan would be two of the three clearly, and the third would be uh, chosen. Yeah, and, and Julio McLaughlin, of course, uh, intriguing for a lot of people uh, out of you know what we used to call D2, the rushing leader there. Do you, do you think they're making judgments on games? I, I think there's a greater amount of judgment made on the practice field, I, I, especially yeah. with joint practices. I believe it's practice. As opposed to any one of the three games. Now, mm-hmm. you might take the three games put together, and a third running back would presumably play quite a bit, as would a fourth running back, a fifth running back in the preseason period, but I think at the running back position, Denver will be okay to start the season. I think they will be okay at wide receiver. I think they will be okay at tight end. Um, Knock on wood, no indication that they will be anything less than healthy 
along the offensive line at this point. That's always been a question in years past. There's always been at least one offensive lineman in training camp who wasn't really doing very much. Uh, wasn't it Billy Turner last year? Right, yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Who was projected as a possible starter. This year, you don't have any of that. The big question is how you define a leap and how do you define Wilson, who could hardly be worse than he was last year, as a quarterback at this point, if he's not among the top 19, 20 quarterbacks in the league, he could make a leap to 21st or 22nd. Uh, that would be measurable. But if the passer rating is around 90, 92 from the start of the year to the finish, however many games he plays, that's probably not good enough for the Broncos to appreciably improve an offense that, believe it or not, since 2015, when the offense was not great, the Broncos have not averaged more than 21 points per game in any single season over the last seven. I think that may be unprecedented over the last seven years in the NFL. I don't think any offense at least one time hasn't been able to score more than 21 points a game. There's obviously a lot of growth that needs to occur, and and it's going to need to be substantial, and it needs to be quite a bit better. At, at the same time, I find it at least heartening that health may be coming around because without health, and the Broncos struggled with it last year, uh, at one point overload, two dozen guys you know, injured, uh, it, it limits not only your team's ceiling because the depth is tested, but it also, in the case of young players, it limits their growth. And the Broncos need both. They, they need their starters to stay healthy and they need their young players to step forward and you need to do it with reps. But going back to the point you were making, yeah, I've, I've long believed, in fact, I've always believed, that coaches talk a good game about how important preseason contests are because the NFL and its teams and, and that they have a financial stake in telling fans these are important. That's why we make you buy two of them in your season ticket package and you have to add some sort of perceived value to it. But the problem is when you evaluate teams in a preseason game, you evaluate a new player, you can't really put the player in a position that you want them to be in. You're sort of limited by the game situation, by what it happens to be, by the clock. So you're not really evaluating the players in the way you want to evaluate the players. You're evaluating the players in a situation that is at least essentially random. And that's not what coaches like. Coaches like structure. They like knowing what's coming up. That's why joint practices are by far where you get the most player evaluation. Uh, I think NFL coaches almost to a man, if you ask them off the record, would you be okay with having more joint practices and, elimin- and el- on the record? Yeah, and eliminating exhibition games, they would they would say absolutely yes, absolutely. Well, there are only three preseason games now, right? You're right. So you don't always have to buy two. With Sometimes the Broncos, buy one. only one of those three comes at home, and that's the week they scrimmage, with practice the with the Rams, and then play what amounts to a glorified scrimmage game. It, I I don't think after you practice jointly with a team 
the game. The, the game is basically it's, another it's, scrimmage. It's just another scrimmage. And, and, and the only difference is that neither coach can orchestrate ones versus ones and two versus twos the way you can in practice. Where you have a plan even before the practices take place and during the practice session, you can make adjustments, but it doesn't make any sense in practice to put ones out against twos or twos out against threes, right. twos out against ones. It doesn't make any sense to do that. In the game, no two coaches will substitute in exactly the same way. And, uh, you know, you're starting with two offensive players and two defensive players who, yes, can be uh, activated at any time during the preseason. But I, I think of those four, uh, Browning is clearly the one that jumps out for me yes. because he has a chance to be a premier pass rusher, and that's an area of weakness. Mm-hmm. But I'm one of those people, I kind of like Kendall Hinton. And I think his absence means that it is not impossible, but highly unlikely that he'll make the team. And I think that's too bad. But you certainly have options, even though I think Hinton is a pretty good fourth or fifth receiver. And, of course, if you keep six receivers, maybe he has an outside chance to make it. But those are the two guys, uh, with with all due respect uh, to uh, Purcell, I don't think he makes the team. I just don't see it. I mean, they have younger options. He's more or less a guy that was brought in two administrations ago. Not just one, two administrations. I think Purcell has a longer climb than Hinton uh, because I think there is more interesting duplicated depth on the roster. And I I say that knowing that the Broncos do have depth at wide receiver, but Hinton, I think, if he can get healthy, has a great chance of making this team because you know he can return kicks. You know he can return punts. Yes, Uh, he has good hands. He's He's reliable. a versatile, prepared player. And I think for Sean Payton, when he looks at players he's going to evaluate, uh, that's the kind of player we'd like to have on his roster, even if he's not going to play a significant role. He is your uh, sort of in-case-of-emergency Swiss Army knife. And I think those guys have value around the league. Purcell's case, I think, is a little longer uh, odds, especially you're going to have to you know, show up and be, uh, be healthy and be able to do more because I don't know how impactful that, that position at the nose is going to be. DJ Jones can kind of play in or out a little bit. Purcell is, is purely the nose guy in the middle. And I think there's limitations there. But it is Browning, I think, that's the injury concern for sure because that's a guy you expect to be your starting outside linebacker opposite of Randy Randy Gregory, who has injury issues of his own, although right now apparently uh, healthy as it stands. As it stands. uh, He was healthy last year when the regular season began anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody played during the preseason, so you really couldn't tell because whether you were healthy or not, If you were a projected starter, you didn't play. Um, We're leaving out K.J. Hamler here, and part of that Mm -hmm. is because we talked about him at length last week. But I think his issue is whether he will have, in the next three weeks to a month, a chance to clearly demonstrate that there's a reason for keeping him on the team. 
and I'm not sure his health or lack thereof will permit that. I think he had, I mean, you know who Hinton is. Right. Uh, I think you know who Browning is as long as he's healthy. I don't think you know yet with K.J. Hamler, he's missed too many games. Mm -hmm. He's missed roughly half the games that he's been eligible to play in because of injury. And I think he has to do more than flash from time to time. He needs to be on the practice field quite a bit, I would think, over the next three weeks to a month. And I'm not sure that he will be. It's interesting to look at the at the um, at the Hamler situation because the Broncos That's the most competitive the position re, after yeah, the top three. It is, and the Broncos restructured Hamler's contract to make it more team friendly. Usually, when you do that, uh, that is an indication that they are trying to find a way for you to make the team. They're trying to structure your contract so it is favorable to make the team, and the Broncos did do that. So I think they like KJ Hamler. I think they'd like KJ Hamler to be on the team, but they added a guy with somewhat duplicate abilities in in Marvin Mims Jr. And a guy like Kendall Hinton in that sort of small receiver role also fits. So, yeah, I, I think Hamler has every opportunity to make the team. I think the Broncos want him to make the team. But John Payton's not attached to him. And if he doesn't look to Payton's eyes, if he doesn't look like one of my best five or six guys, I'm moving on. And so it, it's kind of make or break for Hamler at this point. The Broncos have given him every opportunity here, and now it's just up to him. And unfortunately, the health is going to be a big part of that. And uh, Nobody knows how well that's going to work for him. So I think some of these injury situations are intriguing. I think on the whole, this is a positive for the Broncos. I think coming into the season, if you were to look at this and say, this is where they stand injury-wise, I think most teams look and say, I'm okay with it. Yeah, we're missing our starting outside linebacker and a wide receiver that we're somewhat intrigued about, but otherwise we're talking about uh, depth, and I, I think we can live with it. So the Broncos come in, I think, healthy enough to get a pretty good evaluation of what they are. But, yeah, it's good. Joint practices are going to be with the top evaluation process. I think regular practices are the second. And then the last part is exhibition games. I mean, this always shocks fans, I think, every single year because the NFL is making it clear. But these are important. Guys make teams. They kind of don't. I mean, how many times? Well, that's that's what, that's what comes out between. of the coaches' attitudes. That uh, Have you heard anybody in the coaching profession complain that the preseason is no longer four games? No. But instead... You, you haven't heard of, but I what if, what if Terrell complaints. Davis makes a tackle on a kickoff? You know, that, no, but you don't hear coaches saying no. Coaches aren't saying correct, and because that's not really how they evaluate. Here's anymore. the here's the other factor too. The commissioner of the league, more than any of his predecessors, has thrown cold water over the idea that preseason games are a bad product or that preseason games he's thrown cold water over the idea that preseason games represent anything approximating yeah. regular season value. Goodell. He's he's he, that that's one of the few areas did. where Goodell has been outspoken and seemingly speaking in conjunction with the way most 
fans feel about the preseason. And I could see a point where they go down to a couple and maybe they do two joint practice sessions in place of preseason games. Or maybe they get to a point someday, I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, it may be in yours, Sean, that they'll just wipe out preseason games entirely and they'll start to charge. Here's where they'll make up some revenue. Yeah, they'll charge for They'll charge fans to come to practice. Well, that's that's happening. I mean, the Broncos don't have a deal with Ticketmaster for no reason. Ticketmaster isn't taking good though, like, though they're not be charging this year. But they're setting the stage. But I mean, but if you're if you run Ticketmaster, for example, are you thinking, we'll do this and it'll be free forever? Well, no, then you're not going to partner with the Broncos. You're just going to let the Broncos handle that themselves. Uh, obviously, that's that's going to happen. Uh, first thing's going to happen, I think while Roger Goodell's talking about the, the increasing pointlessness of the preseason in which you know teams are increasingly not playing their players, is the understanding you're going to throw one onto the fire soon enough in the hopes that you can get the players to agree to an 18th regular season game. Uh, that's, that's I think that's a ways of, off, though. It is. I, I but, do. But that's, I think but that's it's, a ways It off. still exists as something that, that they can well, they can throw I, out I as a th- bargain. I chip. think it exists, but the play, the players are resistant even to going to 17. And, you know, the the business that they're, they're doing on Thursday night where, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, it is no longer a matter of every team being required to play on Thursday night. There is an allowance for multiple appearances. Well, you can have multiple appearances, yeah. Uh, that and can, if you have multiple appearances, you don't have every team participating right. on Thursday night football. Yeah, because you have seven. Well, you, you could do it a little bit because there's 32 teams. There's 18 weeks. You 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 can peel off a couple and, and still get multiple teams. There is no way the Arizona Cardinals will be playing on Thursday night football this year. I mean, if the NFL wants to do anything with Amazon Prime, they got to stop feeding them bad games. Games that you wouldn't step across a room to watch if the TV were on the other side of the room. I experienced that last year, literally, in Birmingham, Alabama. And the only reason I walked across the room, Mm -hmm. which was literally all I had to do, was that the Broncos were playing. And I told this story uh, last fall. In another broadcast line, mm-hmm. that by the middle of the fourth quarter, one of the other two people who had joined me to watch the game was just begging us either to leave or give him the address of the Airbnb we were staying at so he could walk home rather than have to watch the Colts and the Broncos well, anymore. The Arizona Cardinals, that you know. was the kind of game, Denver and Indianapolis, that you will not see in 2023 on a Thursday night. The Cardinals are not scheduled at the moment, obviously, so there you go. And the like, unlikely to be flexed. The Broncos are in week six against Kansas City. Expect that one to stay, not because they're uh, – Trying to give Amazon the Broncos, but uh, rather the champs, the Chiefs. That uh, by know. the way, the uh, curiosity factor when it comes to the Broncos it's long that existed last year 
has almost completely yeah. vanished from the Broncos NFL Broncos fans schedule. are excited about Sean Payton to see what he can do, but Sean Payton doesn't make NFL fans go, I have to see how Sean Payton's coaching changed the Broncos. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Veterans report tomorrow. I want to know your input. 303-831-1340 is the number. Are you happy with the Broncos as the veterans report? You get ready health-wise? Are you concerned? How much does Javante Williams' situation uh, make you more excited about the possibility of the Broncos uh, being better, maybe even having a, a winning record or close to it, or let alone ending the long playoff drive? We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Fallout Boy deciding this song needed a sequel for some reason. <laughs> okay. The Denver Broncos do not want a sequel of their uh, long playoff drought, the longest as an NFL franchise. To end it, Sandy, we've talked about this a bit. Obviously, it's going to be difficult. The AFC is loaded. The AFC West, of course, has the champions in it. Do the Broncos actually, and let's just be purely hypothetical, somehow they're a team that magically avoids injury to significant players all year long. Do the Broncos simply have enough on the roster, do you think, to make a wild card? If you just look at the roster on paper, do you say this team can make a playoff spot? Not unless everything goes right. And that's not to say they won't be substantially improved. Uh, They'll be more interesting to watch um they may even beat kansas city once this year hey catch kansas city on one of the zillion uh, prime time games and overseas games that the chiefs seem to have on their schedule this year you you made a point during the break that the chiefs play seven games on on their normal a Sunday time afternoon. Window. Now that would be the late window, right? As opposed to, but that's their normal home the, window. Yeah, for the most the part. early window. They only play seven games that start at two uh, twenty-five or yeah, two twenty-five Mountain Time. Yeah, two. I mean, two oh five. I mean, how about this? So you have Thursday. Here's the Chiefs' schedule, I, and I, I don't <laughs> think a team's ever had this much uh, of a inconsistency in their schedule. Okay, they start, of course, on. Thursday. That's fine. And because, that's no problem. Because actually, then they get an extra break to start. They right. start on Thursday night. Then they have Sunday morning at Jacksonville. Then they do have their home opener on the third against the Bears. That's their 225 game. Then they go on the road to the Jets, but that's Sunday night. Then they go to Minnesota. That's an afternoon on Sunday, so that's a normal one. But then Thursday night against Denver, the following week after that. Then Sunday afternoon, they, they, they get two in a row on their normal time slot uh, against the, the Chargers. And because they're at Denver, they get that 225, that Sunday afternoon start. Then they have the neutral site game with Miami, so they have to even leave the country. Coming back after the bye week, Monday night against the Eagles. Uh, a, another normal afternoon game against the Raiders. But then a Sunday night game against the Packers. Afternoon game against the Bills. Then a Monday night against the, the the Patriots. Then the very next week, another Monday night against the Raiders. Then, amazingly, a game that, well, I don't even know if you'd be allowed to, uh, might get flexed to Sunday night 
because it's the Chiefs hosting the Bengals on the Sunday afternoon, second to last regular season game. That probably has implications. And then the Sunday game against the Chargers in L.A. is literally listed at, at, on the NFL right now as TBD. Doesn't even have a start time. If you're the Chiefs, that's a bonker schedule. Absolutely all over the place. Monday, three Monday nights, you know, multiple Sunday nights, multiple Thursday nights, a neutral site game, one TBD game. Uh, I don't think that actually gives the Broncos any advantage because I think KC is so battle-tested at this point that it, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, wow, there, there's going to be some challenges there. For the Broncos, obviously, when you break down the schedule, it's <laughs> because of like, the uh, very nature of they haven't been good. Uh, not nearly as, um, let's just say, uh, challenging when it comes to the time frame. It is more the the opponents you're worried about. For the Broncos, of course, uh, they will start the season right off with the Vegas Raiders, uh, you have Washington, Miami. But it's not it's not crazy. I mean, you basically have the, the the Sunday morning, the Sunday afternoon. They have that Thursday game against Kansas City, as we mentioned. They have a Monday night game against Buffalo. They have a Sunday night game against Minnesota, which if you're talking about a Sunday night game that might get flexed out for something else, uh, the Vikings at the Broncos the week before Thanksgiving might be flexed out. That that may not be that appealing a matchup. And then otherwise, they have the Christmas Eve uh, Sunday night game against the Patriots. That uh, that is I'm not going to be flexed out because it's on the that's NFL. That's a dog net, game, but it's on the NFL Network. So maybe that's a different, you know, I don't know. But that's a bad game. Maybe they move that out. Bad game. And even the the Raiders are TBD. So the Broncos' two Sunday night appearances could easily be flexed out. I remain convinced. Which would be one Thursday, one Monday. That's it. And the the Monday, they're there to get crushed by the Bills. Three games that the Broncos have on their schedule, all at home, that will determine their playoff fate. And they have to win all three. The Jets at home on Sunday, October 8th, 225 start. Okay. Cleveland at home, Sunday, November 26th. That's a 2.05 Mountain Time start. Yeah, same thing. And New England on Christmas Eve, which for now is scheduled to be a 6.15 Mountain Time start. They have to win all three of those games if they hope to be in the playoffs in 2023. If they win only two, they won't be in the playoffs, in my opinion, unless they split the four games of the Chargers and Chiefs. I mean, they'll have, they, if they don't win all three, they'll have to compensate. Yeah, you'll have to, you'll have to win one or two games that, that they're not supposed to win. Not supposed to win. Uh, and then that assumes you're winning your home opener against the Raiders. That assumes well, that, that, yeah. that you're, I mean, you're going to beat the commanders. The first in the two league. you have yeah, to have. You have to have those. And, uh, you know, then you have back-to-back road games against Miami and Chicago. Miami's going to be, be really easy. tough. Chicago My, won't Miami's be very good, and Chicago won't be easy with fields and some of the improvements the Bears have made. And, again, if the Broncos are substandard, not awful, but substandard on offense, these games against weaker defensive teams aren't necessarily ones you look no. forward to that much because you just can't score enough. They have a home game against the Packers on the 22nd of October that, again, it, we're just kind of uh, we're not taking it for granted as a win. We're just talking that if the Broncos are the playoff team, that's a, well, that's a must win. yes, but the, but but – it's not a tiebreaker game. It's it's a it's a game against an NFC opponent. Yes, I'm yeah. not saying that it isn't important. To but you're win, gonna you're gonna have to win, especially at home. Yeah. You need to win at you home. Win that game. But the games that make a difference 
are potential tiebreaker right. games. You just mentioned three Jets, teams that are going to be in the mix for playoffs in the yes. Right. Yes. Now, I of all of those three teams, I think Cleveland has a little more to look forward to this year than the Broncos do. And actually, uh, apart from having still, I believe, a terrific head coach, but maybe one who has fallen down in the personnel area in recent years, uh, the Patriots, at least on paper, are the worst of those three teams. That's the one you really have to have. Yeah. And, and the other two, I think you need those games. And you've got whatever is left of Deshaun Watson and one, and I suppose on a slightly higher plane, whatever is left of Aaron Rodgers in the other. And there may be quite a bit left in Aaron Rodgers, or last year may have represented the beginning of a decline, Mm -hmm. not as steep as the one we saw with Russell Wilson last year, but a decline nonetheless. That's where it will be very interesting. And the game against the Jets is week five early enough in the season so that Rodgers at that point still might not be in sync with his receivers. It does feel like interesting that the, the Patriots are may very well be the worst team in their division. And that's been a long time since that's been the well, case. That's the forecast, but I, I think that's for where, a lot of people, I, I think know, it is, uh, you know, I think you have to say Buffalo and Miami are stronger. And again, assuming that Rodgers is, somewhat comfortable, they have a better quarterback. I mean, Mac Jones looked last year like a bust, and they have brought in Bill O'Brien to save Mac Jones' career, at least as a New England Patriot, in 2023. So, I mean, I look at the, the schedule, degree of difficulty, and I'm going to assume that the easiest game or games come on your home field. Right. It's fair. Well, you figure to play better than Reasonable you do assumption. on the road. Yeah. And of the home games they have, I think New England might be the softest team on their home schedule. It very well could be. And it does feel like some of those are, are must-win games. The Broncos have to get back to being a, uh, a dominant home team. And and if they're going to make the playoffs this year, they have to start doing it right now. This This year, it has to start happening and uh, you know it, it it could I mean I, I think when we talk about what Sean Payton is going to bring to this team the idea behind it, it to my mind is that some of the games last year that the Broncos despite I, I think and don't get me wrong the Broncos were not a good team I think the Broncos roster <laughs> the, the Broncos roster this year is, you is, are still standing by that. Yeah, I, I know. Five-win team. They, were they, weren't, they weren't very good. But the... The worst NFL team this, the Broncos this team the field, no doubt. Found themselves a, a way to get a little better. I think there's more talent on this roster. It's not a lot. Like we talked about before, the vast majority of the starters are the same. But vast I think they're a little majority. better. majority. Uh, didn't you say 18 out of 22? Uh, yeah, I think, it's seven, I think it's 17 out 17. of 22 would be uh, projected starters. Would be the exact same guys. Um, right. I mean, when you're unless you're counting kicker and punter, they're both different. But right. I, I'm kind of not at this point. That that those. Oh, even if you do, and that's 17 out of. Yeah, there you go. Even if they do. So. And I, by the way, I think the place kicker will be the guy they signed. They just the signed weekend. Brett Maher. Uh, yeah. Last seen missing. And, uh, you know, brace I, of I extra know points the, for the Cowboys. I I know he set a record. 
not only for a playoff game, but for any game with four missed extra points. I, Three I, and one half, but yeah. otherwise, including the game the following week, he was possibly one of the top five kickers. He made more than 90% of his field yeah. goal attempts, and he certainly was one of the top 10 kickers overall last year. So, actually, I... <laughs> I, I hesitate to call someone who missed four extra points in a playoff game proven, but maybe that game, I mean, he had the yips for one week. I, I think of that, I've talked about that with Jerry Judy for a while. I mean, it is it is uh, rookie year. You know, he had the uh, the nine drops on the year, right? He had the yips. But six of them were in one and game. The and I, and I think when you have to game. look at it, when somebody has one, it, okay. No, five or six. I, yeah, it was, it was, anyway. I think it You're was right. Five. Maybe it was five. More than half came in More one More than half game. came in one right. single game. And so I think you, when you have to look at that and say, like, look, okay, you just had a really crummy game. I, that happens. Um, oftentimes, you know, players can go a couple ways with that. And, and Jerry Judy put it behind him. And, and good players will kind of flush that from their system. And I think... You're right. I think that in Mars' case, you got yourself a pretty good kicker who had an awful game at just the wrong time. Put it this way. The Broncos would love to find out how he, how he would respond in a playoff game again. They'd <laughs> be delighted to find out uh, how that works if they could. But, yes, when you talk about this team and how little it's changed, but one of the things, one of the reasons for optimism, I think, has to do with the schedule last year and the schedule this year. And it's not the teams. It's in the way it played out with coaching. I'll explain next on Miley Sports. She keeps them always shondo in a pretty cabinet with the cake, she says, just like Marie Antoinette. A building remedy for Chris Job and Kennedy at any time. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Last year's week one in Seattle, the Broncos lose by one point with the gross mismanagement happening uh, throughout the game. Uh, they lost a game to Indianapolis in overtime that I think was a, a, an affront to any football fan. They had to eyes. try very hard to lose that game. They... Lost in overtime to the Chargers. They lost a, a one-score game to the the Jets. They ended up, in, and these are games I think that they were generally pretty close. I thought the game they lost in Tennessee, though it was one score, I thought that the Tennessee was better. They lost a one-point game to Baltimore. Uh, I mean, it's the only football game I can remember seeing, at least in the NFL, where the team that was trailing almost through the entire game until late, still refused to throw. And that's because the Broncos' offense was atrocious, and teams did know that you only The Broncos did not score a touchdown that day. That was a game that was going to be won by the first team and presumably the only team to score a touchdown. And the Ravens played it conservatively, as close to the vest as you can play it. Lamar Jackson got hurt and basically didn't play. And they won with... A rare instance in which, at least statistically, Wilson outplayed his counterpart. But the the upgrade at head coach from Nathaniel Hackett to Sean Payton is 
enormous. There's no other way around it. I mean, we're talking, you know, I, <laughs> we're talking a Pinto to a Ferrari. I mean, it's, it's just not, they're not the same caliber of no. coaches. No. And I, I look at a game like the loss to Seattle. I look at a game like the loss to Indy. Uh, I look at one of those games like the home loss to the Jets. And I even look at that loss to Baltimore that I think a, a more seasoned, smarter coach after Baltimore loses, Lamar Jackson may have adapted, adjusted, and known when to be aggressive. There are potentially four games that were completely left on the table by uh, a team that was poorly coached, and because it was poorly coached, ill-prepared to deal with tight games in difficult circumstances, whether it's with the clock or decision-making. I don't think the Broncos win 4 for that. I, I get that. But I think if you're looking for reasons to believe that this team could get quite a bit better in the win-loss record, it may be that. Because, put it this way, if Sean, I, I'd say it simply, and I understand that there's other things. If Sean Payton is the head coach of the Denver Broncos, I don't believe they lose the opener to the Seahawks, period. I don't think they lose that game. Yeah, I don't think they yeah, lose the game but to the Colts. you still have those circumstances where I get a that. Seattle team that's basically been criticized mm-hmm. by its former quarterback, they were loaded for bear. I get it. They were loaded for bear. But Denver... And it didn't... I I mean... The decision-making... The, the, the decision-making at the end Clock of the game was, abysmal. was poor, but you know what? Russell Wilson proved to be a quarterback you couldn't count on. So who's to say if he had made a different decision? Despite that, though, Sandy, they lost a handful of games in which they could have won, despite Russell Wilson having an awful year. But they also lands on coaching. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Out of seventeen games, they won one game easily. Yes, one. I'm not saying it's a good team. One, but I'm saying that there were wins that they left on the table. I and and I would I I would say well there were games they won that. They were lucky to win. No, the San Francisco game was lucky. Bad teams or uh, Jimmy Garoppolo steps out of bounds in the end zone. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't step out of bounds in the end zone. They lose. It's the only eleven to ten game ever played in the history of the sport. Certainly, the only way you win with (laughs) eleven. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. But I I do think coaching is going to make a difference here. Well, sure. And so did so does Justin Simmons, uh, who talked about that. Players have to play better. I know, but Justin Simmons says that every time they change coaches, it'll be better now. Hey, we're we're ready to win. Last year, unlike this year, last year he's talking about playoffs and Super Bowls. So I I'm sorry, with all due respect, uh, someone who's never been critical. Uh, you may admire him for that. You may wish, hey, there are times, even if it isn't in your nature, where you have to speak out. And you know he's been remarkably patient, but you're you're looking at a guy who's been through. All these head coaches, all these defensive coordinators, five apiece, two ownership entities, and at least statistically a defense that during his time here has been fifth in total defense expected points added, while the the offense has been 31st. I, I, I understand that it is not in his nature to criticize, but we we've heard that before, so... Justin Simmons being optimistic about a coming season is not a first time. It's thing. not the optimism, annual. however, that I was talking about. It's it's the consistent statements he's made about how Sean Payton's preparation and what they've gone over in film study and what even at this point what they talked about in late game management. Simmons said he'd never experienced that before well, at the NFL level. But but I remember Simmons saying nice things about Ichiro Evero. 
I mean, Sean Payton's not running defensive meetings any more than Nathaniel Hackett was. So if he's saying in meetings, in film study, he's learned stuff. But we know that Sean Payton's attentiveness covers the entire well, roster. Know, but he's not Every coaching. position he's, unit. He, he's not coaching the defense, though. They have a defensive coordinator. Okay, so what, what, that's where, what, that's what, where, what I'm then? saying. Why not just keep Hackett? What does no, it matter? No, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying that. I, all I'm saying is you, you're talking about a defensive player saying he has a better defensive coach this year. He said that last year about Evero. And is he really suggesting that Vance Joseph is a better defensive coach than Ichiro Evero is? I hope not. No, and I don't think he was. I hope yeah. not. Well, but, but again, and I know he's pinning it to Peyton, but Peyton is not running everything. Yes, Peyton is more of a multifaceted head coach. He's proven that. Nathaniel Hackett should have been fired before he was fired, in fact, last year. But this idea that Jerry Rosberg came in and all of a sudden they were a competent team is pure, unadulterated nonsense. And if that were true, why not keep Jerry Rosberg? Well, I guess that's the yeah, why not keep Jerry Rosberg. all I heard, well, what do you all think I heard better? from people like Justin Simmons was how much more organized the team was when Jerry Rosberg was there. And I'm saying, really? But yes, really? I think really. You had a guy, Nathaniel, oh, Nathaniel Hackett, Vic Fangio, Vance Joseph. Which which one spent a lot of time on team organization or actually had a plan? Vic they, Fangio they were, would, rather, two, would rather have coached from they, the, they from the games box. Which they lost. No, I get that. And I'm not saying Rosberg is amazing, but I think I imagine that the jump to Peyton is remarkable. Justin Simmons had Gary Kubiak, a Super Bowl winning coach for one year, okay. in his rookie year where he's trying to absorb everything. You don't think that the jump from... from Joseph, I don't think Fangio, and Hackett to, to, to Sean no, Payton is no, an immense I, co- I, I, coaching I, I, jump. I don't think Joseph is an immense jump from uh, Avaro to No, Joseph. that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the head coaches that Justin Simmons has had, Vance Joseph, he had Gary Kubiak for his rookie year, Vance Joseph, Vic Fangio, Nathaniel Hackett. You don't think Sean Payton is a massive upgrade from those three guys? Yes. Well, but of course, if you're Justin Simmons, you're like, it wow. Wasn't look what thought, actual coaching looks like. Nobody said in 2017, boy, it's too bad we can't get a better coach than Vance Joseph. Nobody said that. And the, the other candidate, well, there were no other candidates for the job. The only guy who was ever considered by John Elway was Vance Joseph because he was the guy who would come in and not threaten John Elway's authority uh, within the organization, which is fine. John Elway won a Super Bowl. Vance Joseph been defensive coordinator for one year. One year, right. Never been a head coach mm-hmm. on any level. I understand that. I'm just saying that we forget that at the time there was optimism about Vance Joseph, leader of men. This is what the highest, most consequentially positioned people in the organization were saying. Vic Fangio, same thing. Vic Fangio, I mean, one of the great injustices in football was Vic Fangio never getting a coaching shot, head coaching shot, before 2019. Right, I'm not saying no, that. Nobody, I'm, I'm just saying that there was a lot of optimism then, too, and I'm not saying that it was well founded. I'm I, just saying it was it, there. It feels like we're talking about di- so things. So from from people who are saying now, "Wow, look at Sean Payton," they have said those things exactly those things before. Yes, but there's a big difference. After 
Sean Payton had Previous NFL wins on his in his resume before I, coming to the Broncos. I'm so, not talking about the enthusiasm, Sandy. I don't care about what fans think. I don't even care about what Justin Simmons thinks. That's not what fans were saying. The fans were the ones who were the skeptics. I, yeah, and that's fine. These are the players. I don't, I don't care. These are the players. I don't care. That's not my concern. My point is that the coaching, the overall organization, the plan that Sean Payton walked in with is obviously going to be more comprehensive than any of the first-year head coaches the Broncos have gone with in the last three runs. Well, they've gone with three first-time head coaches. Right. That's what I'm saying. But to some people, to, to the players, I won't say some people because that implies fans. That's what you're you're implying. It's not fans. It's players. It's people on the uppermost levels of the organization. Joe Ellis and John Elway by name. Um, anybody else who knew a lot or didn't know very much about football, who was positioned in any place of authority within the organization. That's what they were saying. That's why they made the hires breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Certain coaches burn out psychologically, Gary Kubak's case, probably physically as much as psychologically, mm-hmm. but a little of both. Vance Joseph, breath of fresh air, leader of men, Vic Fangio, proven defensive genius. Okay. Uh, one of the great, NFL injustices that Vic Fangio, nobody said, you know, I wonder why Vic Fangio was never offered a head coaching job for 35 years. Well, nobody said that. They, oh, it's great. We got Vic Fangio. Uh, just the polar opposite of Vance Joseph, a guy yeah. with years and years and years of experience as a defensive coordinator slash associate head coach right. no, slash consultant and all, all I, this. I, I get That I get was going to be great. And I get, Hackett, I get what we're talking Hackett about. was again, well, we got rid of the curmudgeonly Vic Fangio. Right. Now we're going the and now we super have positive Mr. breath of fresh air. Right. Now we have Mr. Rogers. Uh, they were hoping they had Mr. And, Rogers. And, Turned well, out the lure didn't work. But I know. But I'm just saying, and, and not specifically you, but you know how our brethren sure. felt uh, even through the first couple of weeks of training camp. That, well, boy, this, this guy's different, and he's modeling – after the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers, what could be so wrong with that? And there wasn't a single person going into the season who didn't think that the Broncos had a fine chance to, if not win the division, then at least play meaningful games in December. Uh, They didn't come close to doing either. And so I'm just putting the brakes on this idea, which we outlined roughly a week ago, when I look at a team in five categories, quarterback quality, roster quality, not including the quarterback, drafting ability, drafting capital, front office, and coaching, I'm a little uncomfortable when I see people inside the game looking at the Broncos and saying, the coaching is very good. Otherwise, they stink. The front office is bad. Their drafting's been almost comically misplaced. They have no draft capital. Haven't in years. Right. They've traded away most all of their top draft picks for Wilson and now Sean Payton. And the quarterback is 
hopefully going to be average this year. That would be a huge jump from last year. And the the quality of the roster, we talked about it. There are two stars on this team. Mm-hmm. One's a cornerback and yeah. one's a safety. It's, it's Sertanis That's Simmons. It. That's it. Those That's are it. And you'll have a fun time. You have a very you, famous you can, quarterback, you but he didn't play like a play this game at home. Ask your relatives, friends, who the best offensive player on the Denver Broncos is. And you'll ask 10 people and get 10 different opinions on you, that. Or 11 people get 11 different opinions. Well, nobody will vote for Wilson. I, I disagree. I think somebody actually would. Maybe Dulcich isn't going to get one. Or when the Broncos figure out who their tight end is. It, it is. Uh, training camp is upon us. Obviously, the veterans report tomorrow. The uh, Sandy broke it down there. The word out of Dove Valley is always uniformly positive. So how do you separate uh, what's sort of real from what's fiction? We'll be joined by Eric Goodman, the host of Morning Drive on Mile High Sports. Uh, he has opinions about that, and we'll talk to him next.